Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma samputhasa Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma samputhasa Namo tassa bhagavato alahato samma samputhasa Sabe sankhara anicca, sabe sankhara dukha, sabe dhamma anathati. That's a very well-known uh, gata or series of lines which the Buddha spoke that all sankharas, all conditioned phenomena everything which has of the nature to arise and then pass away. All those uh, conditioned phenomena, sankharas, inside and outside, are impermanent, subject to change. And all sankharas, the same category of phenomena, are inherently dukkha, suffering, unsatisfactory, a burden, a hindrance, a disturbance. And that all dhammas, are without a self and do not belong to a self. They are anatta. And uh, this evening I just wanted to uh, start introducing some ways of using the mind, especially around the three characteristics of anicca, dukkha and anatta, which will uh, assist uh, the work of developing the mind. And uh, one should remember that even though that uh, in the talk so far I put an emphasis on jhana, with being the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, samādhi, that it should not be regarded as something separate from the other factors of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is one path uh, to be developed as a whole, and that's why that uh, you should prefer to emphasize the word bhavana instead of samatha or vipassana. Bhavana is the development of the mind, development of the body as well, the Buddha said. And especially the development of the mind and the body in terms of the Eightfold Path. And at every talk which I give, I try and give like aspects of that path to try and emphasize some parts of the path which uh, need some focus and which will give uh, greater um, effect to one's practice to speed the path along, to overcome obstacles and hindrances so the path becomes clearer and easier to walk. And uh, one of the, uh, the little techniques or skillful means uh, which uh, I do and which I've taught before uh, is to develop uh, the what we call the perception of impermanence, the perception of dukkha, the perception of anatta, the anicca sanya, anicca, so anatta, so anicca sanya, dukkha sanya, and anatta sanya. And to explain uh, why we need to do this, uh, we have to go back to the root cause of the problem, which is uh, avijja, delusion. The fact that uh, this phenomena which is real, we give a meaning to, which isn't truly there. 
that we mistake and misunderstand and add things which truly do not belong to this experience which is right here with us. And this is what delusion is, awija, misconceiving, misperceiving, misviewing the uh, phenomena which is before our senses from moment to moment. It's one thing we take it to be something else. And there is, this is, as you know, that uh, in Pi we call this Vipalaza, the uh, distortion, or the act by which uh, the delusion actually occurs. And the Vipalaza, the distortion, acts on three levels, the distortion of views, the distortion of perception, the distortion of thought. Perception and thought are momentary, in just one moment of experience. There's perception and thought there. The views are something which more like underlies, uh, which is almost like a sum total of perceptions and thoughts. And in fact, one can uh, identify uh, views as being made up of perceptions and thoughts. This is where our views come from. Why do we look upon uh, something in a certain way? And we can see the causes, the uh, the roots, uh, those uh, experiences, those ideas which have given rise to these views which we hold. Once we see the views as conditioned, then we can also understand that how these views can be, as it were, uh, mismade, misconstructed, and to add something which is not really there. And perception of thoughts as something which are more momentary. And uh, in particular, by working on perception, uh, that it is possible through uh, developing uh, the mind, especially through arousing such functions of consciousness such as sati, like mindfulness and remembering the teachings, that it is possible to be able to direct perception as it were, perception is the mind like choosing aspects of an object to focus on and uh, to become clear to the mind. Whenever we uh, have a moment of conscious experience, whenever the senses are working, there's so much data there and there's something inside which chooses one aspect of that experience, its size, its color or other sort of effects which we, uh, the mind takes up. And knowing that this is the way perception occurs, that perception is, as it were, variable, uh, that we can actually, by an act of will, establish that sati, which does train perception. We can learn to look at phenomena in terms of anicca, or in terms of dukkha, or in terms of anatta. It's a conditioning, a reconditioning of our sensory apparatus. And this is that the training which uh, the Buddha encouraged to developing anicca sanya, uh, dukkha sanya, and anatta sanya. And if we can develop the mind in this way, we find it, uh, it can, uh, as it were, clean out or clear away many obstacles uh, in our practice and our development of the mind. It becomes a very useful tool in the development of the mind. 
So exactly how this is done, we can start with something as easy as anicca, sanya. This we develop the uh, the sati, which looks upon sort of all phenomena, whether the external material phenomena or internal mind states, as it were, through the eyes of anicca, as if we're putting on glasses which see or remind us to see the, that component of experience which is obviously impermanent that part of experience. We remember, we're looking for this, we're remembering to see that in this phenomena there is impermanence, change, uncertainty, instability. Now we need to train ourselves to do this because it's not something which the mind does naturally because it goes against the stream of craving. The stream of craving tends to take objects which are dear to us, which have created happiness and joy and delight for us in the past. It's as if we hope that here there can be some permanence. The tendency of the mind is actually to discard the anicca sanya in experience, not to face up to it, but look the other direction and to see it as permanent. This is why that we look at our, our family and friends. As the Buddha said, all that is dear and all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, all that we take as ours, beloved and pleasing, we don't look as with the eyes of anicca, of impermanence. And it's because we don't do this naturally that we have to develop reminding ourselves, looking for impermanence, developing the perception of impermanence. And we can start developing the perception of impermanence, first of all, with things which don't belong to us, which aren't dear to us because it's easy to start working uh, with those things which don't threaten our sense of identity or our sense of possessions. And it's one of the joys of living out in the forest with nature that we can see uh, impermanence very easily. Sometimes in the cities and the uh, places which uh, people build, the impermanence is hidden through paint and plastering Whenever anything starts to to fall apart or to crack, we sort of tend to sort of uh, uh, mend it, make it look good. It's one of the reasons that many of you notice that the the jacket which I'm wearing has got a hole in it, and somebody, a couple of people, offered to fix the jacket for me to sew a patch on the hole in my elbow. But no, it's not a good thing to do that because this is my anichasanya the impermanence. Every time that I can look at this, I know that things are wearing away. And whether one looks upon it with one's jacket, or with one's vehicle, or with one's home, if it's something which is not very dear to you, it's easy to do, first of all. So start where it's, where it's easy to do, where it's easy to work. In the forest, the trees falling down and dying. So the grass, the flowers, all is beautiful, you can see them wilting. All the buildings which you know, I put up with so much effort to see them cracking, the paint peeling, sort of the gutters rusting. All of these things, is just, there's no rest from building. There's no rest from repairing, because this is the nature of the phenomena there. And if you see that, if you develop the anicca sun, you don't want to see this, I don't want to keep on repairing these buildings. I don't want to keep on working, I want a beautiful forest. All the trees, they just grow and they just stay like that, never changing. 
that's at a tendency of a lazy mind, a mind which seeks for happiness and satisfaction in this world. But if one wishes to get free from this world and gain the bliss of enlightenment, then one has to develop anicca to these things in the outside world. To see the whole forest, the leaves constantly falling, the whole forest just in decay, wearing away constantly. And once one can develop the anicca sanya, actually looking for it, instead of saying, oh, what a beautiful afternoon it is. Look at the green trees and the little jurries and the kangaroo's parts, isn't it delightful? Just to see the kangaroos growing older, to see the beautiful trees falling down, to see the fires which will one day come up through this monastery, sweeping through and destroying all before it, to see the beautiful jongron paths which we built, just falling into ruin, bit by bit. To imagine, even now, I'm not sure that the termites may be in the in the timbers of this very building, just chewing away, and we don't know. If it's not the termites, it's some other aspect of impermanence that's destroying this beautiful hall which took so much effort to build. And if we look upon it in that way, actually instead of getting upset and afraid, it gives a sense of freedom from these things, a sense of release from these things. Anicca Sanya tends to take off burdens from our mind. And we, then we start to use Anicca Sanya to things which are a bit more closer to home. All those people and things which are dear to us. We ask ourselves, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, what does that mean? What is ours? What is beloved? What is pleasing to us? And we look upon that with Anicca Sanya to deliberately bring up the perception of impermanence in these things. To see that these things are even now just falling apart, changing, becoming otherwise. And as we do that, we can walk just that little bit beyond the fear, the resistance, which sort of says, I don't want these things to be changing. I want to enjoy them just a moment longer. Go beyond that resistance and see these things as constantly falling apart, dissolving, changing, decaying dying, the elements just coming together then separating, falling apart, the skin peeling off the body as the paint peels off the roof. When one sees this, that it gives a sense of like dispassion towards what one thought was mine, beloved and pleasing. And as I mentioned in the, the talk last week I think, but if one can develop this dispassion and start to regard these things, this is not mine, then one does not worry or be concerned about those things. If one can only see the impermanence of these, these things, which one thinks is beloved and pleasing, then the Buddha said that one would not take them up, one would not, they would not give rise to upadana, what, uh, Sometimes it's related to attachment, but it's a process of taking things up to be attached to. One wouldn't even take them up. And not taking them up, one wouldn't tremble. Naparitasati. And not trembling, one lives. 
at peace, not clinging to anything in the world. A beautiful series of sentences which the Buddha very often uh, quite taught. And the Anicca releases us from those things which uh, we can sometimes get attached to. And by releasing us from the objects of the world, the objects of the senses, especially the objects of the five senses here, then we are relinquishing, we're renouncing that which stops us getting into things like jhana. It is the, the major cause uh, of uh, not being able to enter into these releases of the mind, the wimokas, is that the, still the attachment, still the taking up of the objects of the realm of the five senses. Instead of anicca sanya, we have karma sanya, the, the perception of happiness and joy and pleasure in the realm of the five senses. And this karma sanya is very profound. It is that movement of the mind which actually sees pleasure in these things. It actually looks for the aspect of delight in the realm of the five senses. We've been doing this for so long, so many lifetimes. And our perception is so has this habit ingrained in it. We actually see things as pleasurable. We see eating food as pleasurable or drinking a cup of tea as pleasurable. We perceive it as that. And that's why that the mind sort of, as it were, plays in the realm of the five senses and through playing in that realm is unable to enjoy the, the much more refined and joyful and sublime pleasures of things like jhanas. We have to leave that realm of the five senses, vivichewa karmehi, to be aloof, separated from that realm of the five senses, if we wish to enjoy these blisses of, of jhanas. And if we wish to take this further and gain the, uh, the liberations through insight of the stages to enlightenment, we have to be able to fully let go of that world. So we do the anicca sanya, but not just with the external objects such as uh, our possessions. You know, we do it with our body. You know, to see it sort of fading away and decaying. And not just our body, but anyone else's body. And anyone who has any uh, tendency towards lust, towards romance, towards looking for pleasure in the company of another person, should always remember the anicca sanya. Uh, sometimes that uh, the recommended antidote to lust or a romantic attachment to another person is sometimes asupa, the perception which sees the ugliness or the unattractive quality in another person's body or your own body. But one can also use anicca sanya as well, is to see the, the uncertainty, the change, the falling apart, the decay, the old age and death. Uh, in that uh, beautiful woman over there. And it soon sort of takes away the delights in that object. The anicca sanya leads to dispassion. That it doesn't become an object which excites you. It doesn't become an object which invades your mind and remains there to cause you a distraction during one's meditation. 
or during one's daily daily life. So the anicca sanya can be applied to one's own body and also means when the body starts to get sick and decay, the anicca sanya should be there as well uh, to realize that this is just the way the body, uh, its nature is. The body is always going to be getting sick, it's getting older, it's decaying, it's falling apart. And it takes a lot of effort to prop up. Without the effort to wash the body, to feed the body, to exercise the body, then it will fall apart very quickly. It takes all this effort to keep this body going. What are you putting this effort for? If it's for, for reaching the goal, if we're uh, looking after this body so that this is the last body we take up, then the effort's worthwhile. If we're putting forth all this effort to care and prop up this body, just so we can get another body, it's the proverbial tail wagging the dog. So we should be careful here, what are we doing all this for? And make sure we've got a goal which is reasonable. And if we're going to put all this effort, feeding, exercising, washing, clothing, looking after this body, let's use this body wisely to make this one of the last bodies we're going to take up. But we know that this body is impermanent, so don't be so concerned about it. Then if we can let go of concern about the body, again we're getting rid of one of the, the great obstacles, one of the great expressions of karma sanya. Remember the uh, karma of the realm of the five senses? One of the most disturbing of those five senses is physical touch physical sensations and that's really what disturbs one very often in one's meditation just being able to get the body peaceful so I can just sit without being concerned about it is quite an achievement you have to be and uh, not find the perfect posture because there is no such thing as a perfect posture however you sit eventually you start to ache or itch or sneeze if you've got hay fever and what you have to do is to just give up that body it's the physical feelings in the body are impermanent. Leave them alone, they're not mine. Got nothing to do with them. Sabe, Sankara, Anicca. They come and go, I'm not going to attend to them. If Anicca does that, it gives rise to the dispassion, the lack of care. You know you can't control the physical feelings in the body, so you just leave them aside. You settle your body in a reasonable, comfortable position, and then you forget about it. You ignore it. You turn your attention elsewhere. And if the, the body starts to call at you and it needs scratching, you realize if you start scratching it's going to go itch somewhere else. Because you cannot just uh, settle the disturbances in the body just by uh, scratching or just overcoming them. They're, they're impermanent, they'll come up again. Continually rising and falling, the feelings, the aches, the pains, the itches, the heat, the cold in the body. Are you too hot now or too cold? Forget about it. Turn the attention elsewhere. It's very difficult to just get it just right, not too hot, not too cold. In fact, it's impossible. Can I get it just right just for a sh short time? So we just let go of these things through the anicca sanya. But also we have to use the anicca sanya not just externally, but internally in the mind. Now all of these things which pop up in the mind, to the thoughts which come up in the mind, this inner conversation, anicca, they just rise and fall, these thoughts, they're not ours, 
they're uncertain, irregular. And if we can develop anitrasanya towards these thoughts and to their meaning especially, because sometimes we think these things are important. If we just see these things as just something which are fading away, which are decaying, all our great ideas eventually we forget, thank goodness. And uh, so, so much for great ideas, so much for understandings on that to verbal level. This all thinking is impermanent. And if we can look at thinking instead of uh, looking at thinking as being some like permanent, now I've got it, now this is right. As if we got a permanent solution to the problem through thought. Look upon it as all impermanent, insubstantial, just fading away, decaying, dying then we don't give the thinking process so much importance. It does not become so valuable and dear to us. We think because it's dear. And if we, we delight in thinking, then we'll never be able to release the mind from thinking. So we can try anicca sanya. All these thoughts, instead of being uh, perceiving their meaning, we deliberately perceive the thoughts in the aspect of impermanence. We look for that quality in every thought which arises in the mind. And if you do that, every thought which arises in the mind, you just remember this is impermanent. It's just a blip on the screen. Then you'll find that the mind will disentangle itself from such things as thoughts. That dispassion will arise to thoughts that the energy which you've been given, giving to this thinking process will be removed and the thinking will start to disappear. It will have no, no force behind it. This is just impermanent, dispassion arises. Anicca, let go of the thoughts. When thinking starts to disappear, you start to notice other objects of the mind and seeing all these things also as anicca, especially some of the uh, reactions one has, the, the wanting to control things. If you notice the objects of the mind, they come and go, despite what you want, then you can start to realize these things are out of your control. It's their nature to arise and fall. Leave them alone. Have a bit more dispassion. The anicca, sanya, tends to make you let go once you identify these things as anicca. Uh, you can use anicca sanya up to this point if you're aiming at samatha. And I make this point that if uh, you've used anicca to get rid of the grosser disturbances of the mind and things like a samadhi nimitta come up, then that's not the time to do anicca sanya because uh, if you try and perceive at this point in the meditation the impermanence, looking for the impermanence of this uh, mental object then it will uh, manifest its uh, insubstantiality, its impermanence and you will not be able to get into the jhanas. So if you are aiming at jhana, only do anicca-sanya up to that point and then let it go. It's done its work. And if you enter a jhana, after you emerge afterwards, and that's a real good time to take up anicca-sanya again, and start to apply anicca-sanya to the process of, of consciousness, consciousness itself. You see that consciousness 
is impermanent. And what do we mean by consciousness is impermanent? It's one object of consciousness rising after another. And uh, one interesting way of just reading in a sutta the other day and talking with someone about this, to see that, that consciousness manifests on the different senses. And one can notice this, if one is looking for this perception, to see uh, eye consciousness suddenly stop and then uh, say ear consciousness arise and then sort of mind consciousness, or then nose, or body consciousness then. Actually it's a notice of different types of conscious experience. And if one has got a powerful mind, especially a mind whose hindrances are overcome through the practice of something like jhana, if your mind is that powerful and deep, you can notice, you can perceive the different qualities of consciousness depending upon the different senses which are active at that time. To be able to perceive that eye consciousness is fundamentally different than ear consciousness, which is fundamentally different than the nose or taste consciousness, which is fundamentally different than body consciousness, which is fundamentally different than mind consciousness. One of the difficulties in noticing this, and I was pointing this out to someone the other day, is that because all of these five senses usually is mingled with mind consciousness, that mind consciousness is usually there with all these other five senses, there is a sense of similarity between these, between conscious experience. Because we can't separate out mind consciousness from the other five consciousnesses, we tend to interpret these things as just being just consciousness continuing on, the same thing. It's one of the insights which should come if one develops a lot of jhana where one, as it were, separates out mind consciousness from the other five senses. But the other five senses disappear and you just got mind consciousness. When you know what mind consciousness is, isolate it from all other conscious activity, you've got a good chance of understanding its nature and realizing its separateness. If one can know the fundamental difference experientially of the six classes of consciousness, then it becomes very clear to one that because one moment you have eye consciousness, the next moment you have uh, ear consciousness, you know that it's completely different, that one thing has disappeared, another thing has arisen, not the same, not something, as it were, transmigrating from one moment of consciousness to the next. Now you have mind consciousness, now you have body consciousness. If one can only know that these things are different, you would see the fundamental impermanence of this thing which we call consciousness. It arises it passes away and disappears. Another consciousness arises, a completely different type, a different animal, as different as people, as dogs, to birds, to insects, different classes. Once one can see this, then one can develop the anicca sanya on consciousness, that which knows, sometimes that which people take to be jitter, 
to see jitta is anicca. To actually see it not as an inference, not as a thought, but as a realization, an experience, seeing it clearly. The anicca sanya should go that deep. And once, of course, one develops anicca sanya to that depth, that one realizes the whole work, sabbe sankara anicca. And of course, the most important word which I keep on pointing out is sabbe, all complete, the whole lot, without remainder, every sankara. And all the five khandhas are sankaras. The body, uh, vedana, this, uh, what we call feeling, uh, perception, all of the mental objects, and consciousness itself, impermanent, rises and disappears. So we do anicca sanya to that degree. If we don't want to do anicca sanya, or if we get bored with that, because you know what it is, sometimes when one takes up a new way of doing things, a new toy as it were, we become entranced by it, it's easy, the novelty is there, and it's easy to use. And sometimes we're always doing the same technique, the same skillful means. We find it, as it were, gets dull. We need to put it away for a while. Just like sometimes we have to take our batteries to the workshop to charge them up, to leave them for a day or two. In the same way that sometimes some of these skillful means we have to leave aside for a while. And so if we leave aside anicca sanya, we might try the dukkha sanya. The dukkha is not just pain. The dukkha is a much nicer or much more accurate meaning of dukkha in this aspect is like disturbance, burden. And if we look upon dukkha as like something which is a burden, which is a disturbance, which blocks off peace, and we develop dukkha sanya, and uh, we can, we're not just doing the dukkha sanya to physical pain, not just to things like not getting what we want, because that's very obvious to us, at least it should be obvious to us. But like, look at dukkha sanya on a deeper level. Perhaps actually one can start with just a dukkha sanya of not getting what one wants, not doing what one wants, not getting one, one's own way. As a young monk I used to think, once I became up, I can get my own way, I can do what I want. As anyone who's ever been in any position of authority knows, is that the more authority you have, the less you can do what you want. The more you are constricted. But not getting what you want, a burden, dukkha suffering. Dukkha sanya, this is the nature of doing anything in the world. Uh, it never goes the way you want it to. It's always approximate, it's all right, it's good enough, but it's never perfect. Dukkha Sanya, but it's much, I find it much more um, profound to look upon Dukkha Sanya as a perception of things being a burden, of things being a disturbance. Especially if you've got some um, measuring stick, some reference point of peace. What's the most peaceful experience you've ever had? And then you can understand about the disturbances, the burdens, the dukkha of just ordinary existence. 
compared to the most peaceful experience you've had, things which most people take to be happiness, to be uh, joy, to be pleasure, is just so burdensome, it's just such a dis- dis- disturbance. <laughs> of course, people will not know this unless they've known something more peaceful. The dukkha sanya is to notice things as disturbances. And there's some disturbances which you can't get rid of. You know, the, the duties and work which we have to do as monks, as anagarikas, as lay people. But in times that when we we finished our duties, we go back to our, our huts, our rooms, then do we really uh, give ourselves a chance to be peaceful? Or do we actually make disturbances? Do we make burdens for ourselves? And very often there's some things we can't change which we struggle and wriggle to try and get out of. If we can't really change it, if we can't do anything, well, we should just accept and embrace these things. If it's pain in the body, and the body is a burden, we know that, dukkha sanya. We can perceive this, we know it. And to try and wriggle out of it is double dukkha. So if we can't get rid of it, we can accept it and let go and bear with it. The burdens. We should know that such things as possessions is a burden. Sometimes if we accumulate possessions, uh, whether it's robes, whether it's flashlights, whether it's books, whatever, just to remember the burden of these things. Again, that we don't go on this tudong. We, in this monastery, because this is the only monastery for miles, that we don't go travelling very much in the monasteries in Thailand, that sometimes as a young monk, and those people who live with Ajahn Chah would know this, sometimes that uh, you come out for the evening meeting and Ajahn Chah will look at you and he says, uh, you've got half an hour, pack your bags, you're going to the other side of Thailand to stay for a year. He wouldn't, he wouldn't ask him, he wouldn't give you warning. Half an hour and you had to clean up your heart completely. You couldn't leave it for someone else to do, you had to do it. And pack all your bags and put them on this car and you'd be gone to a monastery at the other end of Thailand. That's beautiful practice because things like that showed you just how much burden there was with possessions. You all know that when I asked you just before the range retreat or a couple of months before the range retreat to have to move cooties. And what a burden it is carrying all this stuff. At least I hope it was a burden, for those of you who didn't use the tractor. You know, actually, this is for the tape. Actually, some people use the tractor to move their possessions from one hut to another. <laughs> it's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> so these are burdens, possessions. The less you have, the better. So give them up, throw them away, burn them or something. Because sometimes I prefer burning things because if giving them to others is just giving someone else a burden. It's not giving them a gift, it's giving them a burden. So the Duke of Sanya looks upon these possessions as burdens. And one of the things we're supposed to be doing is renouncing the world, simplifying, letting go, being like the example of a Buddha, just can pack his, ba- pack his bowl and just go, with his bowl and his robes, like a bird on the wing. The only weight the bird is carrying is its wings. The wings of a monk are just the bowl and three robes. So the Dukkha Sanya 
leads to simplicity of life, but more than simplicity, it leads to this renunciation, this, uh, w this movement of the mind which tends to give up rather than accumulate, which tends to let go rather than attach, which tends to abandon rather than to desire. It looks for things to give away rather than looking for things to get. And this is like a beautiful movement of the mind because it's a movement of the mind which, which stops the defilements, which leads to nibbana, which leads to peace, which leads to jhanas. The happiness of jhanas is nekama sukha, the happiness of renunciation. You're not just renouncing the burdens of physical possessions, you're renouncing the burden of the possession of the five external senses. To look upon these as burdensome, to see is a burden, to hear, to feel, to be free from these senses is such a relief. As Ajahn Chah's simile, I remember him saying this and it's a beautiful simile, it's like having had a rope wrapped around your neck with two people pulling either end, choking you so you don't feel any freedom. And this is, the rope is of five senses and the pulling is like desire and aversion, greed and hatred, like and dislike, pulling you, choking you in this realm of the five senses. And to be able to give up that rope to give up the burden of the five senses is the whole purpose of this, this meditation into jhanas. Because that is the reason for the happiness and bliss of jhanas. A burden has been removed. A disturbance has finally gone. It's like having had a headache for ever since you were born and suddenly the magic medicine and you, your headache goes. The first time in, in your memory, your living memory. Is the joy and bliss of the release of the mind. But why can't we do this? Why do we still keep playing around in the realm of the five senses? Why can't we let them go? And it's because we haven't had enough, even like dukkha sanya. We still think that, well, even thinking, we, we look upon as something pleasurable. We don't realize as we are thinking that this is dukkha, this is suffering, this is a burden, this is disturbance. It's usually only afterwards, after we've wasted an hour or two hours thinking about all sorts of things, that we realize that was a burden, that was dukkha, but it's too late. If we realize it at the moment, it's arising. Dukkha sanya. All we need to do is develop the perception, it becomes like a habit. If we look out for these things, we find it's there, within the thinking. If we we, know, we look out for it, we see it's there within the realm of the five senses. Look upon the realm of the five senses as dukkha. It's not dukkha if you attach to it, not dukkha if I don't attach to it. I prefer the, the meaning of upadana as taking up. It's dukkha if you take up these things. It's a burden once you take up the, the, the sights, the sounds, the feelings in the body. You should know this, as a Sanditika Dhamma, you can experience it for yourself. As soon as you take up the feelings in the body, look at the, the pain in your legs, the heat, the discomfort in your back. As soon as you take it up, it's dukkha, it's a disturbance. 
soon as you pay attention to like the, the noise, the flickering of that heater behind me, it becomes a disturbance. It becomes dukkha. Just to see whenever you take up the five senses, it's a disturbance, it's dukkha, it's a problem, it's business. It's a, it's a job, it's a heavy weight on you. And if you see this, that the dukkha sanya will lead again to the mind developing nibbida, this, this realizing the dukkha in the realm of the five senses. These five senses are burdensome, they're, they're not, you become averse to that dukkha. And from that aversion you get the viraga, the dispassion, which, which lets these things go, which makes them disappear, which leads them to cessation, which leads to upasama, to, to quietness, settles them, so they disappear and gone. So by developing dukkha sanya to the realm of the five senses, you find that's a very powerful way of getting into a jhana, of releasing the mind from these disturbances. And again, it's only because we don't realize, we forget, we can't see these are disturbances, that we take them up. We play with them. And actually, it's not we playing with them, they're playing with us. Be careful. You're, uh, you're missing an opportunity. But again, that if one has used dukkha sanya to release the mind from uh, things like thoughts, to release the mind from the concern with the realm of the five senses, just take dukkha sanya that far if one is developing samatha and developing jhanas. <laughs> because at this point, then one should <coughs> recognize the joy of the mind. One can develop dukkha sanya to these mental states of jhana, and that will be important later on in the practice. But do these things one step at a time and don't jump too fast, otherwise you'll fall completely over and go right back to the beginning. There is a time in the practice of meditation, one, one actually develops sukha sanya to see the happiness in a mind released, to notice that and develop that, to see the, the happiness, the joy, the, the bliss in the samadhi nimitta, to develop the sukha sanya, the perception of happiness in peace, in silence, in emptiness. Because that is again a very important factor in developing the jhanas. So, developing dukkha sanya in the realm of the five senses turns you away from that realm. Developing sukha sanya for the sixth sense, the realm of the mind, will, will incline you towards that realm. And of course, after you've emerged from, say, a jhana, then you can do dukkha sanya to even the objects of the mind consciousness. In fact, you can do dukkha sanya to uh, the uh, activity of consciousness itself. To see that even conscious experience, no matter the most refined conscious experience or the most gross conscious experience, a whole lot is a disturbance, is dukkha. And if you can notice, not if you only notice dukkha in the realm of the five senses, but if you fully notice dukkha in the realm of the five senses, 
And that's enough for you to be an anagami, a non-returner, if you fully realize the suffering of the five senses. And again, the test of your fully understanding this is not just uh, thought, ideas, but if that uh, uh, understanding means that you see the mind completely withdrawing from that realm which you know is dukkha and entering the realm of the mind into a jhanas, then you know that the chances are that you may have that attainment. But if you want to go further, then do the dukkha to the whole lot, to even the mano-vinyana, the mind consciousness. To actually notice that all consciousness is fundamentally suffering, is dukkha, because it arises and passes away. As the Buddha said about the five candors, is consciousness, is it permanent or impermanent, monks? Impermanent, Venerable Sir is what is impermanent and subject to change, dukkha or sukha monks, dukkha. In sutta after sutta, the Buddha said specifically that all classes of consciousness are dukkha. He did not say that they are dukkha only if you attach to them. He said they are all dukkha. Stop. So let them go. If you can let go of all, if you can see the dukkha in all consciousness, in all classes of consciousness, then you have penetrated that uh, phrase, sabbe sankara dukkha, all conditioned things are dukkha. And if you want to change it a little bit and do anatta sanya, the perception of non-self, of not mine, of not me, one could develop this by just training oneself to look upon things from the viewpoint of anatta, especially that which one calls one's possessions. What does one own? What is mine? The anatta sanya is also the, the mindless perception. This is not mine. You look upon things that's not yours your possessions, you're just renting them, you're borrowing them, you're just using them for the time being. This is not my hut, this is not my car, this is not my robe, this is not my book. I'm borrowing this from the time being. Remember that. Perceive that again and again and again so you don't get caught into thinking these things are your possessions. Look at your body with anatta sanya. This is not me, this is not mine. This is not a self, so people criticize your body. You don't take it personally. It's not yours. The anatta will stop a lot of suffering in the world with the, uh, the beauty or ugliness of the body, with your concern about how it looks, how it appears to others. It's not yours. In fact, sometimes, like a person's car, having an old bomb of a car is very useful because people don't like it, they don't want it. Having an ugly body as a monk is very uh, useful because women don't want it. So the ugly your body, the more chance there is you staying as a monk. I, as a monk, 
I mean, as a young monk, as actually a lay person, when I was at school, I think, that I fell over and broke my tooth and the tooth went black. And it was a, a marvelous that stroke of good karma to have a black tooth. Just something which was a bit more repelling, which sort of marked sort of the beauty of a young man. And I kept that black tooth as a young monk. And when people, uh, even like the the abbot, I think it was Ajahn Chakra, wanted me to go and see a dentist to go and have the tooth capped, and I refused. And I tell tell them that they said this is very important to me because it, it will protect me. <laughs> and it's only that just before I came to Australia. And I was staying in Bangkok, and these Bangkok ladies, they, all of them came together and they pressed me and, and burdened me and said, you must get it done, you're going to Australia, you've got to look good. And eventually I gave in. But having a black tooth is very useful. Or having an ugly aspect of your body is very, very convenient. Anyhow, uh, the Dukkha Sanya of, for the Anatta Sanya, the perception of non non-self, of not mine. Again, that it means one can develop the renunciation much easier because when it's not yours and you remind yourself it's not mine, I don't own these things, it's much easier to give them up. If someone asks you for something in your heart, can you give it up? Can you give it up freely? What's your favorite possession? If there was a fire, a bushfire right now, and I said, you can go back to your hut and take one thing, and one thing only. What would you take? I hope you'd say it was my bowl. <laughs> would that, would that would be what you take? Your bowl, your arms bowl, the, your, your inheritance from the Buddha. Or would you take something else? Would it be your book? <laughs> is that what you're, <laughs> you're attached to? This is the possession which you think is yours. I've done that exercise before with myself to find out, you know, what I'm really attached to. If there was a fire, there was a one range retreat in Thailand when I was a young monk. In one monastery, there was a flood this one year, and they were in the the hall. I think it was even a Nupasta night, like tonight, and the the waters were rising, and they were having the evening chanting. And they saw the waters rise, and they realised they'd have to um, uh, leave the monastery. So the abbot said, you can go back to your hut and get whatever you need. You know what this one monk went back to get? He went back to get his kettle and his, his supply of tea. <laughs> this English monk. <laughs> and he almost drowned because by the time he got to the hut, the waters were so high, he had to like, throw away his kettle and tea and swim for his life. He was fortunate he was a good swimmer. He said he found He's very happy because about two months later when he went back there, he found the kettle on top of a tree and climbed up to, to get it. <laughs> but I mean, these anatta sanya, these things aren't mi- Why do you risk your life on these things? These aren't mine. And anatta sanya, especially to develop that to your body, do not regard your body as me or mine. You have very little control over this body. It goes according to its own nature. If you had control over this body, you would not permit it to ache, to be in pain. One looks upon this body as not as mine, not as me. But more importantly, that to look upon the objects in the mind with anatta sanya, 
because very often it's there in the mind that we misperceive these objects in the mind or these functions of the mind as being a self, being a me, being a mind. If you develop anatta sanya, the perception of uh, non-self, of not mine, not me, that becomes a very strong habit. It becomes a sharp tool when you use it very often. And you can like develop that tool in the external, but you, but realizing that you're developing, you're sharpening this tool in the external world, so you can really use it as a very sharp knife to cut away the source of dukkha inside your mind so that you can actually look and perceive Vedana, the feeling that this is not me, this is not mine. It's not you feeling this pain or feeling this pressure. The Vedana aren't yours. You can perceive it that way. That's actually the truth of the experience. So of course you can perceive it if you look in the right way. And not only just perceive it once, but perceive in every moment of conscious experience that Vedana is not me, is not mine. And if you could only see that much, that the pain and the pleasure of life will become as nothing. The things which aren't a concern. You'll be free from pleasure and pain, at peace beyond them. Look upon perception itself as not yours, as thoughts. It's not your thoughts. Don't cherish them. Don't sort of put them away sort of in your little uh, box there of personal possessions. That thoughts aren't me. And most importantly, as I keep on saying, that consciousness and will that which receives the information of sensory experience and that which interacts with the world through will, through doing, through choosing, through chaitanya. You can develop the anatta sanya which sees that these two aren't a self. It's not you doing this. It's not you receiving this information. It's not you who here and there receives the karmic fruits of the actions you performed. I just was reading about uh, Bhikkhu Sati the other day and it was his wrong view. He said, it's this very vinyana, this very consciousness which feels and does and which uh, here and there receives the fruit of the karma. And the Buddha said, you misguided man, to whom did you ever think I taught like that? Consciousness, vinyana, does not arise without a condition. It's impermanent. It's not self. All consciousness. And he goes on to then uh, talk about dependent origination. And this is seeing, perceiving the impersonality of consciousness, that which receives the world that which uh, interacts with the world. Sometimes that if we're not careful, we can perceive that as a self and thereby just get caught in the net to take the bait and be entrapped in the realm of ever wandering through samsara, old age, sickness, death, 
birth, old age, sickness, death, again and again, never really being free, never really understanding, always being subject to suffering. So we develop Anatta-sanya. Anatta-sanya is very powerful and can be used at all stages in jhana meditation, or rather in getting into jhanas. Even especially when things like samadhi nimittas are arising. As I say, I discourage the anicca-sanya and dukkha-sanya at that stage, but anatta-sanya is fine to remember. In fact, it's very powerful at this stage because <coughs> it takes away that, that which controls. Because very often when the mind gets refined, there is something in there, in your mind, which tries to manipulate and control, which will not let go of ordering. And if that which orders and controls is not let go of, there's no way that you can enter the releases of mind called jhanas. Especially when something like a samadhi nimitta is arising, you've got to leave it alone and just let the mind be attracted to that nimitta and just enter it. You can't force it, you can't push it. In fact, this is a subtle state, which means a subtle mind, a quiet mind, a peaceful mind. And one of the biggest disturbances in the mind comes from this sense of self. The sense of self manifesting as that which gives orders, that which, gives con that which controls. That is a disturbance that uh, shatters the peace, that makes the mind wobble when you disturb it. And Anatta Sanya at this stage, you realize there's no self in here anyway, just shut up, leave it alone. Stop giving orders. This is a natural process. You let the process happen with Anatta Sanya. And the process does happen. And one enters these releases of the mind, which gives you more confidence that there is some truth in this Anatta Sanya. It's not a perception which is a perverted perception, but it's an accurate and true perception. It's perceiving things, yata bhuta yana dasanang, as they truly are. Yata bhutan, as they truly are. So one develops these uh, perceptions at all levels, and uh, as such, they are a very powerful tool, very practical tool, not only do they give results such as like jhanas and, and uh, insights, but also they are cutting against the root of delusion, the root of avijja, which is the, the vipalasas. The vipalasas, that which uh, perceives what is uh, inherently suffering to be happiness, that which perceives that which is inherently impermanent to be permanent, that which perceives that which is inherently non-self to be self. And the fourth one, that which perceives that which is inherently um, unattractive to be attractive. And also that which thinks what is inherently suffering is happiness. That which thinks that which is inherently permanent, impermanent is permanent. And that which thinks that which is inherently non-self is being a self. and that which thinks that which is inherently unattractive as being attractive. One is cutting those, and by cutting those one is cutting the very foundation of false view, 
the false view, the view that that which is inherently suffering is happiness, the, the false view that that which is inherently impermanent is permanent, the false view that that which is inherently non-self as being a self, a me, a mind, and the false view that that which is inherently unattractive is, is beautiful. One is cutting, by cutting the perceptions and thoughts, one is undermining the view one is taking away the cause of mitya-ditti, of sakaya-ditti, of the personality belief. Then you are on the path, you are on the way to gain the first path and fruit, the achievement of stream enterer. So these are very powerful perceptions. And if one can uh, continue them and make much of them, they uh, abandon ignorance, or sorry, they abandon delusion and they lead to the peaceful states of mind, to the releases of the mind. They, release, uh, they lead to fully understanding the nature of both world and mind. They lead to Nibbana. So that's the talk this evening on the development of Anicca, Sanya, <coughs> Dukkha, Sanya and Anatta Sanya, the perception of impermanence, uh, burdens or disturbances or suffering and not me, not mine, not a self-ness. That's the end of the talk. Has anyone got any questions or comments on the talk this evening? Yes? <coughs> You're saying about uh, a phenomena where people hear colours or they they taste sights. It's never happened to me, so I can't really speak from personal experience. But I think probably what's happening there is is more that the mind consciousness is is uh, making that bridge because. I've pointed out before that uh, when we have an object of mind consciousness that very often we interpret it with the language of the five senses because that's all the, the language we have. If we experience a samadhi nimitta very often people interpret that through the language of the, the sense of sight saying it's a light or it's a darkness or it's a star or whatever. Whereas uh, for those who, who have experience or familiarity with these things, you know it's not an object of the, the eye consciousness, it's an object of mind consciousness. But perception, uh, being very much caught up with language, just picks out from the dictionary of terms built out through the, work, the experience of the five senses. And that's the closest term. Um, so I think that very often it might be that uh, in these experiences the mind consciousness is what is ex being experienced and we're just picking out the closest terms. That is my theory. Any other question before we finish off? Okay. <coughs>